Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about investment philosophy. And as I say that, Alex, I'm sure a lot of people's eyeballs just rolled back to, to the back of their head because I think a lot of people hear this and I'm not quite sure that they truly even understand what an advisor means by investment philosophy. Because I think a lot of us, let's just call it what it is. Well, my philosophy, Ryan and Alex, is to get me the best return that I can get. <laughs> Which is not a philosophy that is chasing returns. Right. But that's the only thing, right? The media, that's all we're taught. Well, if you get X return, look what your money can do. So it's always about like chasing return to your point. Right. Or, or they'll talk in buzz terms and use things like allocation and risk tolerance and things of that nature. Right. So we're going to discuss uh, really three different philosophies that for the most part uh, are, the, are the main ones out there. Maybe a different hybrid, like they're always making stuff up as we move along here or different uh, uh, different ways of approaching investing. But before we dive into that, Mr. Collins, what are you drinking today? Uh, you're going to laugh at me. I am drinking soul. <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> so, like it's it has been super cold here in in Washington State, and like it has been. While it's nice to see the sun, um, it is cold, and I am longing for some nice warm weather. And this definitely takes me back to a warm place on the beach. So that is a solid one for, especially if you're in the in the heat and. Just kind of that that go to one that that will knock you on your butt <laughs> too quickly. <laughs> exactly. So it, it clocks in at like four point two. Um, I have absolutely no no idea how many IBUs are in this. Uh, the answer is not many. Um, like it's it's your traditional Mexican beer, which is great for what it is. Uh, I Soul is my favorite of the Mexican beers. Um, so I'm giving this a seven uh, out of ten on the style, and maybe like a four overall. Gotcha. And I'm not drinking today, just a couple items on my plate that uh, doesn't allow me to have a beverage with you on this episode. So next time. Um, so let, let's talk into this. I, I think, you know, you and I were chatting prior, uh, you know, as we always do, trying to figure out, you know, how we want to approach each and every episode, make sure we're bringing value to our clients. And this is an episode that we can go deep into the weeds rather quickly. And I think that the takeaway that we really want our listeners to have Alex is really understanding the, the three different philosophies to, to really have so that, and understanding which one you, that appeals to you so that when you have a decision to make, or when something's occurring in the world, you can fall back on to help guide you in your investment decisions. Yeah, it wouldn't. So, like, we're going to talk about. So, we're going to start with the overarching, um, you know, main concept in terms of like style of investing. Then we're going to do, uh, drop into a conversation a little bit around like the structure of those investments, um, and then uh, hopefully we'll be allowed to talk about uh, uh, the values around investing. And, and those are again for you to fall back on, so that you can say, "This is my philosophy, and this is what I'm going to hold to." Right. Because I think what happens, what a lot of times occurs is markets up or down and people just immediately make a decision ad hoc because they really don't have anything to fall back on. 
and the entire goal, point, purpose, et cetera, of having an investment philosophy is to allow that philosophy to remind you to behave and adhere to your own philosophy when times get abnormal like or challenging could be that things are going exceedingly well. We want to avoid the irrational exuberance. When things are incredibly bad, we want to avoid the, the fear and irrational side of investing there. The whole point of having an investment philosophy is to try and help take the emotion out of the decision-making process and make those decisions ahead of time and have a way of looking at like, okay, this is what we're facing how would we want to go ahead and react to that today, knowing that we're not facing whatever the emotional thing is. So it allows us to react more rationally and more thought out and more measured to our investment decisions. And real quick disclaimer, when we're talking about investing, right, we're not, we're talking about investing for the long haul. This is not like a two or three year investment period of time. This is for the long haul when when we're talking about the investing. So we're talking like 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years. Because even when you retire, you're still most of the time, some of your money or maybe all of your money, depending on how you set yourself up, uh, is invested in some way, shape or form. So let's get into this, Alex. So let's let's talk about the three styles that are out sure. there, right? So I'll, I'll list them off real quick, and then let's let's go into uh, to define each one. So the three styles that that we see out there is active management, passive management, and a structured management. Some and the structured is kind of like the in betweener between active and and passive. So let's talk about active management, Alex. So let, let's what do we mean by that? Sure. Active management is we are hiring an asset manager, whether it's the advisor or a fund manager, or we're hiring somebody um, to make investment decisions where that person's day should be sitting in front of a computer looking at the market all day, every day. Um, you shouldn't get a chance to talk to them uh, basically from when the market is open until when the market is closed because they should be focused on that uh, decision alone. Um, so if you're hiring a financial advisor, um, like don't expect to be able to talk to them when the market is open, if that's what they are saying that they're doing um, or um, unless they are hiring a third party asset manager to go ahead and do those things for you. Um, typically what we wind up seeing in, in a, an active portfolio is we sit, typically see less holdings. Uh, we see more concentrated positions. Um, they might have like a, philosophy built around how they go about selecting the stocks that they have inside of their portfolio. Uh, it is typically more stock-based than than uh, fixed income-based, although there are active managers in the fixed income space as well. Uh, but most of the time we hear this as it relates to equity or stock positions. Yeah, this is this tends to be the person that thinks that they can they can beat the market in its simplest terms. They think that they can, they know the, the, the companies or the funds that are going to beat the market. They're, they're the, in my opinion, they're, they're the people that are predicting what they think is going to happen. They're playing that game. Yeah. Uh, prediction is a great term for it. Um, Cause that's exactly what they're doing is they're, they're doing some sort of uh, analysis um, and, you know, using that as a way to predict the future. So that's active management, right? 
Now, when we get into management and and what style makes the most sense, what philosophy, there, there's an aspect of what do you think, like how do you think of the markets? Do you think they're efficient in and of themselves or do you think they're inefficient? What we're just speaking into with the active management is someone that thinks that, that the market is maybe necess- is inefficient, meaning the, the prices, everything isn't built in to that current all the knowledge isn't currently in into the market essentially right you can add value through through research and and digging into things um, and information is not quickly and readily uh, updated in the market uh, the general thought process that you and I have is that when we take a look at like the the quantitative trading and the the uh, momentum trading and things of that nature we see firms, spending huge dollars, huge dollars to be super close to the exchanges to have like ultra fast, uh, high speed internet so that they can get their trade in a fraction of a second before everyone else does. And if that's our view of things, that is an extremely efficient view of the market. Information is really rapidly and readily, uh, uh, updated into what the market's view of things is. So that kind of takes us to almost the, I wouldn't say the opposite, but similar to the, the opposite of active management, which would be passive management, right? This is where this is tends to be the index investing where you choose a, a, an index and that's where you, an index fund and that's where you put your money. So this is a common like S and P 500 index fund. Fund. I should add the D to to the end of that statement. <laughs> the index may not be fun given that day. I don't know. But when we think of the S&P 500 index fund, what you're essentially saying is I'm going to put my money into all of those companies that are inside of that, that index. And the S&P 500, that's the 500 largest US companies. That's what makes up that. And so you're thinking, okay, well, that's that's a great fund, United States, large companies. I like that that profile. Five hundred companies. I'm I'm diversified, etc. So you put your money into that index fund, right? And so that's five hundred companies you're invested in to some degree. One thing to take note of is when you look at the S and P five hundred, a lot it's cap weighted, meaning like the largest companies tend to either bring the that index up in terms of a rate of return or bring yeah. it down. And so right now those companies are really like Apple, Microsoft, um, Amazon, Google, Facebook. These are huge, huge tech companies. So if those companies have a down year, that entire index most likely will have a down year and, and the other way as well. Yeah, like right now, what we're seeing is we're actually seeing kind of the reverse of that. It's similar to the way in which the market was back in 99, where you had back then it was Cisco and Microsoft were leading uh, tech companies higher, and that was dragging the S&P 500 higher, but you had fewer and fewer companies that were actually profiting. Yeah. Um, so we saw that earlier this year where the seven large tech companies, the ones that you mentioned, plus Tesla and NVIDIA, we're really dragging the, the, the S&P 500 higher. And we've seen that, that growth spurt kind of widen um, where more and more companies are starting to participate in, in growth of earnings and, and overall growth uh, as a whole. Um, 
but there's a couple things to to look at when we're talking about passive investing. Uh, one is most passive investing is done based on market cap or cap weighting, which inherently is saying that bigger companies are better. If we look at the empirical, historic, uh, academic research, it says that that's inaccurate. Uh, the other component that we need to be aware of, and this is something that we talk about with clients all the time and surprises the heck out of them whenever we do, and that is that those seven large tech companies that make uh, that are in the S&P 500 make up roughly a third of the overall value. So there are huge weightings to those seven large tech companies. Um, and oftentimes people don't understand how diversified or how undiversified they actually are, depending upon like what the mix of assets are. And I can already hear people say, oh, well, right, but I'm going out and buying like the Russell 2000 and the Wilshire 5000 and the IFA index to go ahead and get in international. And like, that's great. And it's still all based around market capitalization, which inherently says bigger is better. Um, Even in those other index, you're still investing highly in, in like the top of those companies inside of those indexes or weighted wise versus you're not, while you're invested in the 500 companies, the return is really coming from the bigger companies. And that's true in any index. Yes. So that's what Alex is speaking into in terms of diversification. You've got some. It depends on how diversified you want to be. Which then takes us to the structured piece. So structured is, is a combination of the two to some degree. And this is really taking more of an academic approach to investing. And this is looking at, okay, what, what, how has the market done over the history, right? And we're, so we're looking at different asset classes and a common asset class that most people, especially in the last decade, really kind of forgot about. And even when we're looking at their portfolios, they might have a couple percent in this asset class and that's small value. And what's really interesting about that is, is when we go over and we show, hey, what's the, what's been the best asset class over the history of the market to date? It's small value. Most people think it's like the S&P 500, which is US, United States large companies. And when, when we show them that, it opens their eyes to, A, if they're really chasing rate of return, they're chasing the wrong asset class. If we're taking like an academic approach and looking at the, the history, if you will. Well, it- so much of it, Ryan, depends on like how you're looking at chasing. And what right. Is it year to year or is it over a long period of time? That's a solid point. Which, you know, we can, we've had plenty of episodes talking about like getting in and out of the market. I and mean, if you miss the five, you know, best days of that year, like your return crumbles. Right. So that's for another whole nother episode. Again, we're talking about long term investing here. And so when we look at a structured investing, we have to look at it, okay how do we build out a portfolio where we have, you know, a lo- most of the market inside of that portfolio, but we've tilted towards, you know, for instance, a value type of uh, asset class because what we've seen over the history of the market. And in case you guys can't, haven't figured it out yet, like <laughs> Ryan and I very firmly believe in the structured component where the goal is to go ahead and try and take aspects of active management and take aspects of passive management. And if we're leaning towards one or the other, we're probably more about like 80 to 90% passive and like 10 to yeah. 20% active. Uh, like really like <clears throat> the, the whole concept here is 
being broadly diversified, making sure that we're trying to reduce down turnover as much as possible, reducing down costs as much as possible, and structuring things along the uh, what is historically driven rates of return. Um, and that is really around asset allocation and making sure that our the process is as repeatable as possible. And when Alex says asset allocation, just so we're clear, because, you know, again, that's a term that all of us advisors use. And I think clients kind of, for the most part, understand it. I think when they hear that, they think of where do I, where do I put my money inside of the portfolio to diversify myself? And that's in general what we mean. But more specifically, we get into, okay, if we take on, you know, the small value that I keep talking about, that's a higher risk asset class. So how do we offset that, that risk as well? So you can maybe take the same risk you're accustomed to and possibly have a higher likelihood of a, a slightly higher rate of return because of how you've shifted, like essentially what makes up the cake, the ingredients uh, inside of the cake. A higher expected rate of return. Like, Better terminology. Thank the, you. The future is unknown and unknowable. Like we yes. don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. Um, and so as a result, whenever we talk about this stuff, it's all hypothetical. Um, and like the only thing we can try, like so much of it is a built around trying to make the process as repeatable as possible. Um, and a lot of that has to do with reducing down as many variables as possible, adding in diversification, trying to get away from the, uh, the risk that we can go ahead and get away from. Uh, that is company specific, that is industry specific. And typically we do that through diversification. Um, not That's not for everybody. Like what we are talking about here is consistently hitting, uh, like to use a baseball analogy, singles and just getting on base and creating fewer outs. That is what the philosophy that we adhere to is designed around is that we're going to succeed by creating fewer outs. This is not going to make you wealthy overnight. It is not going to uh, help you amass large sums of wealth. What's funny about the, the wealthy overnight though, Alex, I can't think of one person that is actually an overnight wealthy, successful person over the long haul. They might turn wealthy overnight. They win the lottery, for example, but because they don't have any values, they have no habits, good habits, most of that wealth gets taken away. Well, and like so much of it is, and the same thing is true with investing. Well, there's this conversation around creating wealth versus keeping wealth. Yep. And those wind up being two totally different conversations. And so like one, like there was a, there was a guy that I went to business school with and like he turned something like $40,000 into like $600,000 over about a one to two year time horizon. And I, I don't, I, we lost touch with each other. I don't know where he ended up, but like, I know that at, at one point he was getting crushed by the downturn in the market after uh, like I went to school in the late nineties to early two thousands. And like, I know that at one point he was getting crushed by what was going on with the dot-com bubble and a couple other things. Um, and so it's one of those things where oftentimes we hear about the successes because everyone wants to share about the successes and nobody wants to talk about or discuss the failures. It, it's the exact same effect as like when you go to a casino, you hear about everyone's winning, 
stories. You never hear about the stories where it's like they went to the casino and they lost all the money that they came with. Yep. And, and like, as humans, we also tend to justify that as like, oh, well I went and I spent 200 bucks on entertainment. And it's like, cool. If you were able to like, look at it that way. Great. Like as long as you were willing to go ahead and lose the $200, like as entertainment money. Great. That's not really investing. That's more speculating. Yeah. So, so those are the three philosophies. Now we had some time. We were hoping to get into structure and values. We're, I know we're 20 minutes in here, Alex. Let's give them high level what we, what we mean by structure and values, right? So those are the styles, active, passive, and structured. Okay. The second piece that we're talking into is in terms of the structure of investing. What we mean by this is, is mutual funds. Do we want to use, utilize mutual funds? Do we want to utilize ETFs? Do we want to choose individual stocks and bonds? Like what is that structure going to be made up of? Or are we using some sort of bundled product or like hiring a money manager? How do we want to go about selecting the investments? And a lot of that comes back to the first point. Um, and also talks about like what we're willing to pay, how we're willing to structure it, why, why we structure it, the ways in which we do, things of that nature. And then the last piece is values, right? And this is I – mean, we can open up the big can of worms here. This tends to be the – a lot of the, the thing right now is ESG investing. And that can mean so many different things to so many different people. And I would – you know, Alex and I both think that they're still trying to fine tune that style of investing because we all have so many different values that it can be difficult to to put a portfolio in place that's a, as efficient as possible while replicating the values that you've got. Yeah. And anything that's done on a mass level, like you're adhering to yours and several hundred thousand of your closest friends or remote strangers views on what values you guys share. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's really challenging to go ahead and get this accomplished. Um, and everyone kind of has their own definitions of like what, like what each one of these components is, does how it works, etc. Um, which is why it's it, like, in my opinion, it is better done on a tailored to you, the individual uh, structure. Um, and there's, there's ways that we can go ahead and help deal with some of this. Uh, but most of the time we're looking at, at the larger accounts starting somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million and becoming a lot more efficient at, at uh, one to 5 million in terms of account size, as far as like where we can really start you know, digging in and getting some specialized structures and, and ways to go ahead and build out the value portfolio that you want. It, look, the, the key to any investing, and and we've spoken into this in the past, but just as a reminder, you need to have your balance sheet set up appropriately. And when you're investing for your future uh, and you're not you know, financially free yet, I'll say it that way, you should have a philosophy that you you ad adhere to and set up your balance sheet to adhere to so that this structure is setting yourself up for the future to be okay no matter what. And then if we're really wanting to chase return and go after opportunities, you know, like I'm 08, for example, let's just say, you know, some version of that occurs. If you set up your balance sheet appropriately, 
and you had the cash sitting in the sideline, you had an asset sitting in the sideline to be able to go purchase the real estate in that example, that's adding risk to your plate. But as long as your balance sheet is set up, then fine, go for it. Well, what and- we see too often is the opposite. You haven't set your balance sheet up. You're overly overly aggressive on chasing rate of return. And then you add this to the portfolio that, you know, that example that is brought up, OA real estate, you just yeah. added a ton more risk to your plate. And if one thing goes wrong, it crumbles you. The, the key here, Ryan, is making sure that you have the conversation ahead of time so that when 08 or some version of that occurs, you understand and you know what you're willing to cut down to so that you have an idea as to like, okay, without emotions clouding or fogging the decision making, how much are we willing to go ahead and put at risk? What do we want to do? And have those conversations and make those decisions when you're not in the heat of the moment, when you're not dealing with massive emotions, because you're going to make a significantly better decision at that point than you will when you're under the gun, under the pressure and dealing with all of the rampant emotions that that tend to make decisions for us. Yeah. a, A real quick example of that. And then we'll get to the question of the day. Working with a client probably about three to five years out from retirement, has a high concentration in a company that they work for. And the the stock has done well for them. And we're having this conversation today. I go, so here's, let me throw out something at you because I'm concerned that he's over-concentrated in this one particular stock. I said, okay, let's just say three, four, five years from now, when you decide to, to retire or want to you know change positions, whatever it is, let's just say the stock goes up $500,000. You're really happy, right? You kept it. So, and the client goes, yes. I go, so let me give you the, the vice versa. What if you lost $500,000? Are you willing to risk that? Or should we take some of that risk off the plate? And all of a sudden he goes, I don't know that I'm willing to risk that. So we're ch- it changed the conversation, ch- truly showed the real risk because he experienced seeing the stock go down in 2022 and go down quite, quite big quickly. And so now he's setting himself up for the future. So he set up his balance sheet, like he's setting himself up, which is a real life example of what Alice was just sharing there. And and these shouldn't be knee jerk reactions. We need to be be measured in terms of how we go about it. Uh, and like no, this, this isn't an all out sale of that stock. That's not what we did. Right. No, I totally get that. That was more for the listeners than it was yeah. like a comment on this situation. Um, it's just making sure that we we go through it in a measured stand because there's a lot of other factors that go into it beyond just risk inside of the investments. There's taxation, there's other planning components that really come in. And this is really where working with a comprehensive financial planner makes a huge difference is because they see all of these decisions as interconnected and as part of a bigger picture, as opposed to the investment silo, and we're just going to make decisions inside of this investment silo. 100%. Which takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Our question today is, what's your investment philosophy? Have you spent time digging in and figuring out how you should be investing and allowing that to to dictate how you go about making investment decisions? So head over to beerandmoney.net, and at the top of the page is a contact us page. That's a great spot for you to either answer that question 
uh, or if you have questions on today's topic, it's a great way to uh, interact with us and maybe we can continue this conversation in another episode. And then lastly, you know, if you've been listening to, to us for a while and you're thinking, okay, maybe it's time for me to engage with Ryan or Alex or someone, hit that contact button. It'll ping our team and we'll reach out to you to see, does it make sense for us to have a, to, to work together? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Uh, but we are here for you if you need that. Look, we started this podcast to be the resource for you, to think, help you think differently about your money so that you can live the life that you want, specifically with your family and not stressing about money. We hope this episode was valuable for you. And as always, Mr. Collins. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon, 97201. Phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, CA Insurance License, number 0K24924. Alexander Collins, CA Insurance License, number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2023-166050. Expiration December 2025.